And uh, I am here today with my uh, one of my favorite guests, uh, Austin Otis, local legend, hometown hero. And he's uh, back here with us again to talk about uh, some global events, current events, politics, whatever comes to mind. So uh, how are you doing today, Austin? It's good to be back. It's finally raining outside after a w- couple of weeks of intense sun. And uh, we're all a little slightly uh, tan now. Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually glad to see the return of the rain just because um, I've been leaving the house severely overdressed every day, assuming it's <laughs> going to be a little colder than it is. Yeah. So, I don't know. It feels good to be back at home. Yeah. Um, over the weekend, how was your 4th of July? Oh, my goodness. It felt like uh, the never-ending story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was... It was, it, was, long weekend. it was really great. KFMJ Day went really well. We had a great turnout. Um, the bands played amazing. Cape Fox, we actually did a lot better than we thought we were going to do. Yeah, yeah. Cape Fox had to make several alcohol runs, a couple different food <laughs> runs. Chicka nice. Chicka Bang Bang ran out of food at one point and That's had to awesome. go back to the store for more. Yeah. So, Isn't that so nice when you have large community events like that? You can have food trucks now parked right outside yes. of it. It's and amazing. They, they didn't even have to do the loops. They nope. uh, they just got to hang out in the back lot and be there yep. the whole time. So hopefully next year goes off even better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, uh, as Rotarian president, uh, we had the duck race this yeah. uh, on the 4th of July. Um, it went really well. We sold uh, $39,000 worth of tickets, um, about 3,900 tickets. Uh, we usually, nice. usually make about 4,000 tickets, so we were just shy. Wow. Um, about 180 or so. Um and the first person that won the first place uh, was a, a tourist, actually, that had bought a ticket that day. No way. And they, we called them up, and they were like, yeah, just donate it back to charity. I don't want it. I'm not – it's just a town. You know, like, they had no connection here. So, they said, give it back. So, we're currently figuring out uh, what kind of charity we want to nice. donate it to here in the next week or so. I uh, And I won 15th place. It wasn't rigged, I, I swear. Really? Well, 15th. I, I, I got 50 bucks, <laughs> but I donated it back to the club. So. You didn't crack top 10, so it's not like it was rigged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I uh, funny story, Michelle O'Brien, I ran into her downtown uh-huh. on, uh, I believe it was the day of the 4th. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I got kind of bullied into buying a ticket, but I'm glad I bought one, you yeah, know. Absolutely. But I, I saw her walking down the street, and she stopped and goes, hey, Cole, did you buy a duck ticket? And I went, no. And she went, buy one. <laughs> I went, all right. I don't have any cash on me. She went, you got Venmo? Yeah. I was like, all right, Michelle, I'm, I'm buying a ticket. Yeah, we can it. do it online now. We just have a QR code. It's oh, pretty really? amazing. Um, a lot of raffles are starting to go this way after COVID nice. and whatnot. Yeah, um, well, especially because cash is kind of... Oh, yeah. This it's is on weird. the out. It's a weird statement to make, but there's there's a lot of evidence to back it up. Cash only businesses and events are technically anti poor in a way. Yeah, yeah. But and and sorry to people that write checks anymore. Those are on the out. Yeah. What a weird system. I forget the checkbooks existed because that's so funny. And credit was only invented in 1982. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't... I think we've talked about Yeah, because personal credit wasn't even implemented in the U.S. until 1989. Like, almost all of our parents are older than credit. Yeah, yeah. Banks used to just give loans based, yeah, on, like, you know, what kind of jobs you had. And yeah, like that. and that's... Cre- like, uh, it's ridiculous. The banking system's interesting as it is, yeah. but... Um, I wanted to bring something up that I saw just this morning uh-huh. in the newspaper, actually, and it's that Palmer has introduced their first used needle drop box. Interesting. You said Palmer? Yeah. Alaska? Interesting. Which I think is a huge step forward and more communities should be doing this because just having the outreach and the safety around uh, consumption is really, really important. Yeah. I know the uh, police department here, I don't know if it's they use, use needles, but you can drop off any uh, like unused drugs that you find, like hmm. pill bottles and stuff yeah. like that at the police department, but I'm not sure about a needle drop off 
You might um, be able to. What, uh, what really I think is interesting about it is that I think it kind of signifies a change in the uh, ideology around consumption. Yes. Because for me personally, um, I think about addiction more as a disease than a uh, symptom of consumption. Yeah. And part of the reason that I believe that is if you look at South America, countries like, I believe, um, Bolivia and I want to say um, Brazil, Mm -hmm. both implemented uh, public uh, legislation that said all drugs are decriminalized. Yeah. And that they focused on um, legalizing them for consumption. And what ended up happening after they legalized all substances that people consume regularly, their addiction rates nationally went down about 35%. Uh Their uh, drug deaths went down. I can't remember the exact percent total, but it just showed that reframing our ideology around consumption and addiction helps people more than it does the war on drugs. Yeah, no, and I I think that started to change once uh, states started to legalize marijuana and decriminalize Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's really shifted the focus of... um, We live in a society society of uh, (laughs) um, outlook... On uh, on drugs in particular, a war on drugs has been very expensive and costly. Yeah, and there was actually a good study I think done in Alaska about I think it's like one hundred and fifty dollars per day per inmate in prisons. Um, it's insanely expensive. La- yeah, I think last time I looked at the totals in the average for the United States, it costs eighty nine thousand nine hundred dollars to house a prisoner over the course of a year. Of a year, yeah, and that's the standard prisoner, and yeah. we have. The largest prison population yeah. in the world. I think it's a couple million, I think. Are in yeah. Prison we actually have more people in prison than some countries have in yeah. total people. Yeah. yeah. Which is insane because we don't, we also aren't even one of the, we're not the largest nation. Correct. Yeah. We only have 330 million, whereas India and China both yeah. have breaching a billion or just over. And they still don't in prison as much. Yeah. Do you think that's um, due to like the lack of infrastructure of like prisons and whatnot? Or is that just um, their focus is a little bit different? Less punitive. I, I think as far as China goes, it's a little different. I think yeah. they're a lot more impunity of like the social credit system. I was going to say, socially, they're a lot more. Yeah, like it, it kind of start. It, it stops where it starts in China, it seems, from yeah. where the way they handle their um, policing. Yes. But in India, things are definitely a little different as mm-hmm. they have a lot more of a looser structure where yeah. they still have a caste society. Yes. So the laws affect the different castes of society differently. Yeah. So I think that part of it is that we have kind of draconian police laws. Uh-huh. And this is just um, opinion. There's, I don't have genuine Absolutely. facts to back it up. But I think yeah. that part of the reason America will never truly shift towards a um, uh, freeform policy on consumption and addiction because the war on drugs is so lucrative and yeah. the fact that it costs money, but it also makes a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. Yeah. And do you think legalization kind of... Uh Cuts the uh, the legs underneath that money making. Uh, yeah, because I mean, look at New York City. There, uh, the NYPD has a one point four billion dollar budget. Yeah, yeah, a billion dollars. Yeah. Like there, I think they have like what, like sixty, like somewhere in the tens of thousands of police officers. No, in I think New you're York right. City. It's like fifty. Yeah, it's like forty thousand officers. Did Did you see that article about was it Michigan or Minnesota only legalized edibles? Did you read about that? Really? Yeah, they messed up. They were trying to create a bill, and they didn't read the bill, and it had just legalized <laughs> edibles. <laughs> I think they may have gone back and redid it and amended it, but like the 
the final passage of it was only edibles were legalized. I th- <laughs> that's a that's this a was big, just like a month or two ago. <laughs> that's what's so funny to me about uh, like politicians and legislation is when you hear things like that. Like, oh well, they didn't read the bill; they just passed <laughs> they it. They really didn't read the bill. And I'm like, what? <laughs> the people whose job is to read these bills yeah. and uh, choose to pass or deny? Yeah. Like, what? They didn't read. Um, so I know that, uh, you are interested in local politics. It's something that matters to you. Yes. Um, I was just reading about how the, in the last city council meeting, Uh they decided not to, uh, move forward with a motion to ban conversion therapy in Ketchikan. Yes. Oh no, it's coming forward. It's coming forward. Yes. It's coming forward. Ah, the language, the language of the article implied that it had already been passed over. Oh no, I think it's coming Uh, forward still. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think, um, Anchorage did this two years ago. Um, you see cities starting to do this. Mm -hmm. It only applies to, uh, licensed people and And non-religious just because there's a first amendment issue there of, and the, you know, separation of church and state. And yeah. Um, which I was violates that so. separation of church and state should be pushed a lot harder in this yeah, country, but yeah. <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Not the opinion of anyone that's fair. that yeah. I work with or work for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is coming forward. I think at their next meeting uh, among many other things, and I actually had a, mm. a, a thing written down here about, um, they're looking for a new city manager. Um, oh, really? After the, the last one passed away uh, last year and had worked at the city for 30 years, managing the government. Um, it left a huge hole, so they have to find some people. Um, I think they started off with like 20 candidates, and then they came down from there to the top five now. Oh, so I missed um, it. I was going to ask what the prerequisites were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they started with 20, <laughs> now it's five, and then they're going to obviously pick one from the five. So that's a really important thing, and mm-hmm. um, it's huge going forward in Ketchikan. Running a government is very complicated, and there's lots of intricacies and mechanisms, and you really need yeah. to find the right person to do that, um, especially since Ketchikan... Um, has one of the only public uh, publicly owned public utilities, KPU. Um, yeah. Most of them are private in the United States, so that is kind of a complication mm-hmm. um, that a manager really has to understand. I've always been curious about that because uh, positions in local government, I feel like, cover a lot of minutia, a lot of small areas that wouldn't normally be Absolutely. in the public, I yep. guess you could say. Because yep. like, I just learned last year what a comptroller does. Yeah. That yeah. position was completely yeah. unbeknownst very to me for so long. So, like, sure. what's the actual, like, degree of um, responsibility for the city manager? Like, what are they technically in charge of? They are in charge of all the departments under the city. So, your public works, what else is in the city, um, water, KPU, mm-hmm. uh, water's in KPU. Any department that is part of the, uh, the city, hmm. the manager looks over those department heads. Uh, so, you okay. have the manager, you got all the department heads you know, of the departments, finance, whatever. Um, and I can only speak from what I know from the borough side um, is um, they, and then they have often like assistant managers under that. So that's how it's oh, kind of okay. structured a little bit. Cause um, that's what I was confused about. Like when yeah. I found out what a comptroller was, yeah, I thought uh, they had a, a much different position. Overlook everything that is bought from they're basically like an accountant yeah but they make sure like all items are like categorized like mm-hmm. your pens and your papers and your ink and your paper you know your new computers they also have like a modicum of responsibility when it comes mm-hmm. to decision making in um uh, i'm not sure if it's city decisions but they are it's a really interesting position and that's why the more yeah. i learn about like local government rather than federal very niche. it is very niche yeah 
Yeah. I mean, like, for example, at the borough, you have your, like, transit department, which is just buses. That's all that department head is, is make sure the buses run on time. <laughs> um, it's a very important thing. People got to go to work. Yeah. Tourists have got to go to Saxman. They got to go spread their money out in the community. You know, it's very important that you have those people that do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, do you want to address the elephant in the room? Which is? What's overturning Roe v. Wade. But I want to get a little more. I wanted to touch on it. I, I want to get a little more uh, into the meat. We all know that yeah, it happens. Yes. For good or for worse, whatever side you're yeah. on. But I want to get kind of into the meat of it. Uh, I've been thinking and I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts on constitutional law and whatnot. And I really want to talk about enforcement and how that mm-hmm. looks from state to state. Because right now it's a patchwork of laws around the United States now that is up to the states. Because states' rights came uh, down to it. Yes, yes. So I was the reading Civil the paper. The Civil War was fought over something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, reading something in the paper, I think, uh, yesterday, the day before, um, about since it is now a state, mm-hmm. not a right, but I guess it is a right, a state jurisdiction over abortion. Um, they're even taking that down to the local level now of counties, I think it was King County, which uh, Seattle represents, mm-hmm. uh, has passed a law banning uh, any law enforcement of serving subpoenas or arresting people or any kind of enforcement of people that are traveling from one state to Washington to Good. get an abortion. So, to me, that's what I want to talk about is the enforcement. Um, you can pass a law, right? And um, But how are you going to enforce it? That's always the, the question, right? Um, so, to me... You take a state like, let's say Texas has probably the more... Um, uh, Arizona actually recently just came out with the most draconian uh, okay. laws around abortion in okay. the country. Okay. So, taking that example like that, and I think a, uh, a state next to it like New Mexico, Colorado have less, you know, more liberal policies on yeah. abortion. Um, how do you stop someone from going from that state to Colorado or New Mexico um, and getting abortion or getting abortion in that state? like Arizona, there's only like, to me, there's only three avenues. Mm -hmm. It's either you use police officers to do it, which are already, uh, you know, they're already invested in other things Mm -hmm. other than that. And Um, that would require even more funding. Exactly. You, and two, you create some kind of health department with an enforcement powers that just look for people that try to get abortions in states that are illegal or three. It is like a civilian based, uh, like a report your neighbor, report your neighbor or, clinician having yeah. to report someone saying, hey, I need an abortion. So to me, that that's the more uh, complicated things. Um, not fascinating to me, but more uh, the constitutional questions that we should be asking is the enforcement mechanism of mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think that's probably the next case that will become before the Supreme Court is dealing with someone leaving a state that's illegal yeah. and going to state that's legal. So. Well, part of my uh, confusion around that is that um, it would have to come down to tracking public records because if someone let's say someone finds out they're pregnant they would have to be like ticked into a system and then if lo and behold they're not pregnant that would trigger response yes but even that would require more funding and honestly probably um invasion of your uh medical rights and history these are the constitutional questions that enforcement really brings up is right to privacy of that yeah uh the right to freely move however you want in this country we can leave whenever we want <laughs> you're not forced here to stay yeah here. um and and once once trade trade or you move between states it becomes a federal issue at that point so mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying it's going to become a huh. interstate commerce issue well um my uh I don't just just to make this publicly clear. I don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat. I mm-hmm. consider myself very independent yeah. because there's 
party ide- yeah there's party ideologies i align with on both sides enough to the point where i don't align with either one yes yeah. however um my frustration with the uh democratic establishment yeah. in our country is that Time and time again, over the last about 50 years, um, there's been pushes for fundraising to get out and vote, to be more active in the community so we can keep these things safe. Yeah. And yet, they are not safe. So during Obama's presidency, which um, I'm neither a supporter or a denier of Obama. I'm not a fan. I'm not a hater. He just was a president to me. However, during Obama's presidency, his eight-year term, he said on multiple occasions, we have to codify Roe v. Wade into law. It's one of my priorities. And then about the six-year mark in his presidency, someone asked him about that. They said, hey, can we uh, take a few steps back? You said you wanted to codify Roe into law. And he said, it's not my top priority. (laughs) So we've had how many Democratic presidents in the last 50 years? Large majorities. That have spoke heavily on codifying that into law that they haven't done. And yet now that it has been overturned, politicians, unnamed politicians are asking for more and more fundraising and to vote again. So if I've been voting for, let's say, the last 50 years as a a loyal Democrat in this scenario, what is me voting next time going to do if you didn't do anything yeah, about it for just 50 vote years? Harder, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and it just, it feels like one of those things where you go, uh, well, if, if you don't make your bed, uh, you might do this. And it's like, but if I make my bed, it still happens. So what's the difference? Yeah. 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 It's the audacity to ask for more money and not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty astounding. It, uh, <sighs> but more to the point is that, they have had large majorities the past 30 years, and they haven't done anything. Um, and as I, I was actually looking up an article about a country in Africa, Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're codifying abortion into really? their, their, their constitution. So, um, so a country like Sierra Leone is a little more uh, progressive, I guess, or whatever. In that um, aspect. In that yeah. aspect. And then Something the that I thought uh, really, really spoke to me because of um, the rights we have as Americans. Yeah. So... As we both know, we have a right to religious freedoms in this country. Mm-hmm. However, under Jewish faith and Islamic faith, you're permitted to get an abortion. Yes. So we're saying, in a sense, that the only religious groups that have true religious freedom to their beliefs yeah. are under the domain of Catholicism and Christianity. Yep. Which I think is interesting because why are we taking away religious freedoms for multiple groups to signify, to sanctify them for one? Yes. Yeah. See, these are the more uh, questions that I'm interested in than Roe v. Wade has been an issue for 50 years. We all know the pros and cons of abortions and all that stuff, but the medically, morally, yeah, the legal, uh, issues and, and pros and cons are a lot more fascinating to me. Because to, to be able to say that you're doing something for, um, religious and protected ideologies, but you're taking them away from other religions that are protected under those yes. same rights. Yeah. What, uh, what right do you have to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I see the first person, uh, getting arrested in a, uh, state that's has banned abortion, becoming a martyr for the cause in a way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and everyone focusing on that and sending a case like that to, you know, the Supreme court of some sort. Sort of like how, um, and this, I'm only bringing this up because there's a relevant speaking point, but sort of how George Floyd's death mm-hmm. became the conduit for a lot of action that had been, in my opinion, long overdue. Yeah, building up. It was Things that up. should have been taking place that weren't, and he yeah. became the conduit for that. And yeah. I could see and where... it just takes a very serious 
case like that to yeah. elevate the cause. Um, and maybe now that uh, Roe has been overturned from the feds um, down to the states, that the Congress will now act on codifying it. So yeah. in a weird like 180, that gives them a little uh, boost to do that. Um, like, a, yeah, a little more yeah. motivation to make it happen rather than yeah. saying, well, it's not going to be overturned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, Clarence Thomas even brought up uh, the next thing on his agenda is overturning uh, LGBTQ marriages and their protections at the state and federal level. Yeah. Which is <laughs> interesting that we allow, uh, because, sorry, five, I believe, of our justices are Catholic and that has a part of the determining. Yeah the determination factor of why they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yes. So if we have a separation of church and state in this country, why does it matter the religious ideologies of our justices? Mm -hmm. Because if we have a separation of church and state, but we have five Catholics that are anti-abortion and they're overturning abortion laws. Yeah. Who are they representing? Are they representing the Catholics of our country? Are they representing the people of our country? Yeah. And so I feel like there should be a larger, there should be a larger to do about making sure that your religious and personal affiliations can't overturn things that affect people in this country that don't agree or align with your personal beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some mechanisms to um, help that is possibly age limits on uh, the uh, Supreme Court. I know that in Alaska, I think you have to retire as a judge at 70, I want to believe. Um any judge has to retire at age 70. So they've kind of put those mechanisms in the Alaska Constitution that you have to do that. Which I think are great because I'm I'm not ageist. I don't believe that when you yeah. hit a certain age, you become useless to society. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, yeah. However, yeah. in this country, I'm not certain of all the states that you are allowed to do this, but it is a number of them. If you are 75 years or older, mm-hmm. just on that basis, you can be excused from jury duty. Yeah. So... If at 75, so if you're tax exempt, you're removed from jury duty just based on your age alone. Why is that the average age of people governing our country? Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Because people, I I often hear the rhetoric around um, our country is always behind what the people want. Yeah. And it might be because our ruling class is about 50 years older than the people who are trying to become change become the change exactly yeah so there's a huge disconnect between the beliefs of not only how our country functions but how uh because um sorry the the disconnect between life because when you think about how many politicians have asked have been asked do you know what a gallon of milk costs yeah and they can't they're not even within five dollars yeah they're private chef or maid that does that for them. The people that are so disconnected from the average lifestyle and American choices are the ones making the decisions for us, which has always been kind of a a point of consternation for me. I've always, well, that's what you get in a, uh, a Republic. You know, we, we elect people to go represent us whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, but oftentimes you see in Republics, they're an aristocracy or a ruling class starts in the area that they vote and live. DC. Mm-hmm. So that's a natural tendency in a republic or certain kinds of democracies like that is a ruling class. I don't think we can change that natural no. phenomena of uh, of a democracy, but it's a thing that you should always uh, keep in mind. But I think setting age limits, term limits, I think help. Um, getting back to the city council, they're also mm-hmm. bringing forward uh, term limits. I did see that. They uh, were arguing over two or three, right? Yeah, yeah. So on the borough side, we have two three-year terms. Or, yeah, two, three years, and then you're out. 
and then you can wait a year and come back. So, but most people don't. <laughs> uh, so you are limited. And I, I have noticed that it does help a little bit bring new ideas in and, and newer people, um, fresher ideas. And the city council, they they don't have any. Um, so people have been there for 10 years. I so. could see where having a shorter term limits would also bring a different level of um, intensity to decision making and action. Expediency, right? Yeah. It really says, I need to get my stuff done. In these six years, you know what I mean? So you're not just sitting there like a bump on a log. Yeah. And oftentimes, those kinds of positions, you get jaded. The longer you get there, and you kind of become kind of a slight crustacean, I would say, like Don Young. He was very (laughs) effective, got a lot of stuff done, brought a lot of pork to the state. But after a while, it's like, yeah, maybe you should move on. Yeah. Get a new person. Well, also, um, in an office for, what was it, 49 years? Yeah, it's impressive. (laughs) longer than we have been alive by a factor of two like it's yeah to hold that position for so long i think you and this is just um perspective and opinion but i think the longer like you were saying you get kind of ingrained in your ideals and your position yep to the point where you're not really bringing any new legislation or change you're just there you're just continuing the cycles that you have put in place for the last 50 years yeah yeah, it's uh, you're like you're like a roadblock. You you think anyone that wants to become you is a threat. Yeah, which is the opposite of the leader should pass down on those traits to pe- newer people coming in, instead of hoarding those, hoarding that power to yourself. Um, yeah. not to speak uh, ill to dead. Yeah, yeah, of course. Our, I know Don uh, Young's done a lot for Alaska. He has rest in peace, know, Don yes, Young. So I didn't agree with everything he did, but he did a lot. Yeah, he's pretty much, pretty much built modern Alaska yeah. to what it is um, infrastructure wise and you know so that's one thing to be said as a politician too is whether or not you agree with their decisions and legislation the fact that they get things done is yeah. surprising because yeah. there's a lot of uh, stonewalling that yes. goes on in legislation yes both and, of the federal and the state and he level. Was, has always been a huge proponent of, it, of uh, legalized marijuana so yeah from day one. Well, because you remember, uh, I think it was up until the, the mid-80s, uh, it was not criminalized in Alaska. It was right. just uh, illegal. Illegal, yeah. So you could, there were still even laws around growing in your own home and yep. consuming in your own home. Yeah. Which I always thought was a really cool, like, freedom. Because I'm yeah. for decriminalization yeah. entirely. And I think the fact that they're saying, hey, it's not legal. You can't drink it out in public, hang out in public, like with a beer, alcohol. But yeah. You can still consume in your own discretion. And that's based on how um, our privacy laws are in Alaska are very, very strong um, ingrained in our constitution. Mm -hmm. You don't see that uh, verbatim in the U.S. Constitution. It it alludes to privacy and there's some issues, you know, some things that you can find. Um, But in the Alaska Constitution, it guarantees the right to privacy. So and they base that marijuana, you know, growing in your home, own home. I think there was a case that came before the. Alaska Supreme Court based uh, someone that got caught, and they said, "No, you can possess marijuana." That's um, dope. But weirdly, weirdly, gray zone decriminalized until yeah. we legalized it. So, um, yeah. I I just read something similar to that recently, and it was the actual uh, legal code on providing alcohol for minors in the state of Alaska. Oh, interesting. So it is fully legal to provide a minor with alcohol in Alaska as long as you are a parent or guardian and you're mm-hmm. within your own home. Home, yeah. Which I think is crazy. Yeah. Because that then leaves the discretion of, are your children allowed to consume substances to the parent? And while I think everyone should parent their own children the way they decide, because it is your household and your life, uh, I don't think giving the freedom in that aspect is so positive, but free country, baby. Yeah. As someone that uh, works with a lot of youth and sees a lot of substance abuse issues in my nonprofit work, um, I can see how that's a a bad idea. I, I deal with kids that are 
you know, just getting into those substances um, and, you know, are, are at the point to make that decision to yeah. go off out here and go down a path of not good or, you know, revert back to uh, going down a good path. So I'm a firm believer in uh, everything in moderation, even moderation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's one thing that I've been seeing a lot about recently that I thought was really interesting. Um, so have you been following the story about the WNBA star Brittany Griner? I have, yes. So, she had some weed oil wax in yes, her suitcase so, or something. So like the that. story goes that she was uh, passing through a Russian airport and they found a cartridge of THC oil okay. that was bottomed out. Basically, like there was THC remnants in it, but it wasn't full. It wasn't anything. So yeah. like imagine if you left a, an empty cartridge in your pocket, uh-huh. same thing. It's it's done. You're not still consuming it, yeah. but because of the trace amounts, she was arrested. Yeah. And so um, she recently pled guilty in court with, uh, uh, with a statement of intent saying that uh, she had no intention of bringing drugs. She didn't know they were there. The ah. amount that was present was not enough if she was a regular user to consume that for any purpose. And, um, I thought it was interesting that they're still holding her even after all this. And we gave up, um, a world renowned arms dealer for her position. And she's still there. I didn't know that. So have you seen Uh, the movie Lord of war? Yeah, I have. It's a good movie. Nicholas cage. Um, the guy that we gave back to Russia, that movie is based off of him. Gotcha. Okay. And it's, so he's been always in our possession. In yeah. A prison, and it's not prison. loosely based on reality. Yeah. It's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we uh, recently gave him up for her and we still haven't gotten her back. Wow. I so did not know that. if you were at all versed on like extradition laws. Not really. Um, I know you can't get extradited for debt. If you go to like, for example, if someone had debt here in America and you left to Canada, you can't get extradited back for that. Huh. But I know there's agreements between different uh, countries, countries have different and extradition different states policies. as well. All the states have extradited. Yeah, uh, I think that might be in the Constitution actually. I just thought it but, was interesting yeah. because we gave up a, a genuine political prisoner yeah. for a WNBA star, and that's not to denigrate either of their positions or yeah. their ideals, but. The level at which she's being detained yep. versus our willingness to make a deal immediately <laughs> is just astounding to me. Yeah, and it's obviously from a political mm. aspect, too, because of everything that's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, um, yeah so it's – I I don't know what, if they're going to give her back to her. This happened uh, in North, North Korea, too. Uh, there was yeah. A few, a, just a few years ago. They were hikers, swaps. right? Yeah, some political – they had gotten lost in South Korea, and they went into the North Korean border. <sighs> And they were detained. That. And they were detained for a very long time. Yeah, it years. was like two years, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, one was killed, I think, and given back yes. to the parents. I remember yeah. That. Yeah. Because uh, I don't remember the exact reason, but that's terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah. It happens, I think, uh, it happened in Iran a few times. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting the way we deal with Iran's nuclear policy. Yeah. Because we're very... Uh, we're very disciplinarian when it comes to a lot of Middle Eastern nuclear policies, but uh-huh. not as intensive with those countries as, or not as intensive with other countries as we are with those. Cause like yeah. uh, Japan, Russia, yep. even India, yep. which borders Pakistan, yep. we have very much lenient policies around their nuclear uh, yep. use and like power sources. Yeah. I think it goes back to the, uh, the 70s with the change in government in Iran, mm. uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a more radicalized form of uh, of Islam there that is a, th- a theocracy, I guess you would mm. consider it. Um, 
with kind of like a dictator prime minister under that person. Uh, so I think that's the issue that we take with. So we have a little extra spotlight on uh, Iran. So maybe which, that's why we have a, a little more strict policies against them. Yeah, <laughs> which I can understand given the political history between the two countries. Yes. Yeah. But. Yeah. And, and there's obviously, um, they're, they're strategically based in the Middle East. They're one of the larger, more advanced countries in the Middle East yeah. with a large army. Um, so that's a threat, too, um, of the other countries around them. This is just a a hypothetical for fun, Uh just a imagination, but how do you think the world would operate if every country with a standing military dropped them? Say that one more time. If every every country in the world that controlled a standing military let them go, like released them back into civilian society, how do you think that would affect global politics? Because my fact is a lot of decisions- Massive power vacuum. A lot of decisions get made over the fact that um, we're not allies, but we're not enemies. We both retain a lot of power, and we are right. respectful of the position. Yes, yeah. So to remove... Talk the, softly and carry a big stick. Exactly. Yeah. If we were to remove, like, let's say, the United States, who has arguably the largest standing military... Absolutely, yeah. It would actually reduce a lot of our buying power in a political spectrum. Yes, yeah. And I think that's part of why we're still an imperialist state in a sense, because we are a republic, but we are still an imperialist country in a lot yes. of ways. Yeah. We and use our military to uh, enforce laws around the world and uh, project our power and our dollar. Yeah. Uh, and that's what has kept us on the top dog. Yeah. Um, you know, probably after since World War, I would say in World War One, we started after to After we left there. the gold standard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, um, to Which pop- has really, yeah, I know the pros and cons of gold standards but uh it really unlocks your economy when you get off of a strictly yeah monetary based fiat currencies are very um variable i wouldn't say they're dangerous but they have the capability to collapse faster and more harshly yeah yeah um what i think is interesting though and this is just for fun but to public information um the Fort Knox and our gold reserves have not been audited since we left the gold standard, but we're still being quoted on the amount total we have. Yes. Yeah. Which I find interesting. Yeah. And I think the treasury department keeps that gold just as like a standard in their, in their mm-hmm. like reserves. portfolio, if you will. Yeah. Um, and they're, I think they're always acquiring more gold um, just for backing of, of a certain chunk of it's almost like a stopgap measure, maybe. It's just interesting that that's yeah. not uh, public information. Like, I couldn't Freedom of Information no. Act, the reserve total of what our government has in gold, yeah. but they use that as a tool. Yeah. So it almost feels a little bit like <laughs> there's something happening that yeah. isn't on top, like something uh, that isn't correct happening. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, How It's Made, and they went mm-hmm. to the U.S. Mint and showed how the money's, like, pallets and pallets of hundred dollar bills and the workers just moving around with forklifts and stuff like that it was crazy and then in like one section they have just like a burner room that just incinerates all the old dollars yeah it's like it's a factory of money basically (laughs) i've always wondered why do they have to circulate out old bills um i'm not sure i don't know the answer to that Hmm. I know they incinerate them, though. Because when I first started thinking about it, it was along the lines of counterfeiting because as yeah. time goes on, our currencies become more and more difficult to counterfeit. I think that's why they do it. 
Okay. Um, so you can't counterfeit it. That makes sense. I didn't think about that. Because like when you look at the blue hundreds, they have plastic, cotton, yeah. like there's so many Very materials that go into making them. And then even on top of that, how the materials are woven yes. is a factor in authentication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can look at the threads under a microscope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man. Uh, I've only been handed a fake uh, $50 bill once and I was like, it's fake. Yeah. I got handed a fake 20 once. And as soon as it touched my fingers, I was like, well, staring at it, it looks real. I touched the material yeah. and I was like, what are you Not doing it. with this? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, I, I brought it up earlier because it was kind of relevant to the topic, but um, I wanted to bring it back because there's been some uh, updates in the situation. Yeah. So uh, Derek Chauvin, the police officer who, uh, well, I guess he was charged for it. So you could say it that way that murdered George Floyd because he was charged guilty. with a uh, murder and manslaughter yeah. um, was recently brought back to court and sentenced with an additional 21 years on mm -hmm. top of the 22 and a half yeah. he received for the murder manslaughter case I see. Uh -huh. because they also found him guilty of um, overriding George Floyd's rights. So he was I not see. given full rights. Civil violation. Yes. yes. It was a violation of his rights. So he was actually given an additional 22 year, ad additional 21 on top, top of the of 22. Yeah. He's so going basically to be serving the rest of his life. Yeah. He's probably in his forties or so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he might get out when he's like, 80 which and 90. I'm glad they set the precedent for, um, not only the murder manslaughter case, mm -hmm. but also to retry for, um, violation, uh, of, civil violation of civil rights. Yeah. Cause I think that's a, big deal absolutely usually yeah. and like historically speaking in our judicial system if a police officer is reprimanded it's just on the actual crimes committed like the Correct. murder manslaughter yes but yeah. to go back and say set the precedent further yeah i think that's you, a really good thing this person's rights um, yeah and that was fought a lot in the 60s when they brought all that civil rights legislation forward is specifically uh making federal law uh codifying it and making it um, if you uh, violated someone's rights you'd be prosecuted for that which uh i can't believe it took that long to get there yeah you know what I mean? it's crazy yeah. i guess it makes sense though because uh, uh hindsight is always twenty twenty. looking yeah. backwards at a decision that was made either in legislation or like publicly you think like yeah. how did we not know the outcome but yeah. at the time decisions have their own course yeah absolutely um and, and getting back to our extradition laws thing mm -hmm. um they were a lot more po uh popular in the early 20s with uh, prohibition and uh, like bank robbers that's why they would go across state lines because there was very loose uh, huh. extradition laws between the states then and, uh, after that era they they really reinforced more of the extradition from one state to another Huh. There wasn't a lot of federal. So once you cross state lines, that's a federal issue. It's an interstate commerce. In, in, uh, in the Constitution, it talks about that. Uh, once you cross state lines, it's not necessarily a state issue anymore. So Is that why there's like the interstate commission? Correct. Where they all, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it has to do with commerce that goes between the states as a federal crime. Okay. That, after it goes the, beyond the jurisdictions of state borders, then it's a federal uh, crime or issue or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the difference between, like, a federal crime, a state crime, yeah. like, misdemeanor felony, those things have always been kind of, like, murky to me. Yeah. Because I can yeah. understand if you, uh, like, ro robbing a bank, federal crime. Correct. Banks because overseen by the federal government. Yeah, FCC. By, yeah, yeah. But strong arm robbery, it's just a felony. Yeah, yeah. L like a 
robbing a bank or a like robbing store like a grocery store, oh, robbing a yeah. person, like strong anything under like strong arm robbery is just mm-hmm. a felony, but it's uh, in no way federal. But I'm yeah. like, the banks are only different because they're overseen by a different organization. Basically, yeah, and that's why it, it gets was back to murky. the root of federalism. You know, federalism is the the idea of like shared power between the 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 federal government role the federal government has and the role that the states have mm-hmm. like it's back to the founding of what federalism is um for example there is 10,000 different police departments in the United States in England there's only one they just have a federal they're all under the federal government i've always been curious about you spread that spread power in federalism you spread it out into many different jurisdictions that's always been something that has never made sense to me because if we follow the same code of laws mm-hmm. federally i understand that they're different state by state but um, that doesn't stop an officer from having to be uh, retrained, retaught of any laws and codes in another state. Yes. So if you're reprimanded for whatever reason and you're a cop in New York City and they yes. move you to Pennsylvania, yeah. you don't have to be retrained on those no. differences in laws and codes, yeah. even though you're enforcing totally different things. Yeah. They just tried to standardize the training of like officers, like arrests and shooting and all that stuff like that that's what they've tried to standardize and not the the law aspect of what a police officer uh should know Hmm. probably should have some kind of law degree honestly i I understand all the local and state ordinances that affect your job and you're out there enforcing you know um yeah i have a a lot of opinions on that but it's we could talk about that another time Um, I did want to talk about something that I think is funny because we're both active Twitter users. Yep. So, um, as you know, um, Elon Musk has been positioning to acquire Twitter. Yeah, I thought he already did. No? Soon. So, what okay. What I think, because uh, there's a whole like uh, confusion about it. And okay. part of the reason that I think people are confused is because of the, the business deal end of it. Yeah. So... Um, he has made an acquisition request and I, th- I believe it has gone through mm-hmm. to acquire Twitter for about like 44, $42 billion, something in that range. Yeah. But there is a clause in the deal that within 90 days, he has any right to back out on any discretion. Yeah. And so for the last month or so, he has been positioning himself saying that I think Twitter is lying to me. I think that they have more bots and spam account than 5% that they're claiming. Yeah. And, um, if, I think so too. if they can't okay. if they can't back up that then he won't buy it but I the see. thing is um, through Twitter's analytics they've found that around 2.3 percent I believe of all accounts that are active on Twitter are not run by a real person or like oh, okay. are a botted account so Elon Musk is actually making these claims with zero evidence because he hasn't provided anything totally yeah so I think I think in total, the acquisition deal of Twitter was a large publicity stunt to get people to keep paying attention to him because... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Truthfully, there was starting to be some negative spotlight on him. Yeah. I don't know if there was... He had some issue. I know marital issues. Yes. And there was some uh, personal issues. I don't know with other women that were becoming uh-huh. coming to light and his workforce. I know he was very... Uh, it was questionable. He was like firing 10% of his workforce or whatever. That one yeah. made me laugh... <laughs> inexplicably hard like i would tears in my face i was laughing so hard because i don't know if you all remember um elon musk has been a a huge huge champion of first amendment rights and free speech (laughs) he's been like hey there shouldn't be any we shouldn't be allowed to say any words we there should be no rules to our speech and then he fires 10 percent of his workforce (laughs) after a memo rolls around the company saying that they don't agree with his decisions and how the company's being run and he goes oh Fired for your speech. (laughs) Yeah. And I just think it's funny. A lot of the people that are publicly 
pushing towards okay that are championing free speech because yeah. no one's fighting free speech we're saying that we should have a more comfortable speech yeah. like saying that we shouldn't be freely comfortable as a society to say things that hurt people because yeah. there's no reason to yes yeah and then the people who are championing free speech are the ones trying to silence their detractors <laughs> <laughs> yeah now the hypocrisy is real in that it's crazy um, yeah i think he'll be able to acquire twitter i don't know if there's any like fcc regulations or you know monopoly that they have to look at before it mm-hmm. gets passed through but i don't know how that works I just have a strong feeling that he's not actually going to follow through with the acquisition. I think he's going to keep playing this position of um, bot accounts, spam yeah. accounts, this or that. Because um, even after Twitter just banned, I believe, in total, like right around a million accounts that were spam or botted. Gotcha. And they're yeah. saying they're still below 5% on yeah. total active yeah. accounts. That's pretty good accuracy, actually. Yeah. That's pretty decent. And so I feel as though it's kind of just a power play to keep himself in the public eye and be rich guy batman doing yeah. whatever he wants yeah because <laughs> i mean you know how uh tesla's received crazy high standard uh yeah. crazy high um safety standard safety ratings safety. yeah teslas have been like exploding i'm just gonna say catching the fire literally like it's one of the more dangerous cars on the road right now statistically <laughs> yeah, and yet yeah. he's still getting these safety standards yeah so i feel that it's sort of like that um and this is isn't a new tactic, but I think it's gotten easier with the advent of today's internet is, um, diversifying your public opinion. Yeah. So if something really bad comes out, you keep yourself in the public eye doing something at all to stay in the conversation and make sure that you're still relevant regardless of whatever bad was happening. happening. Yeah. Because this is, um, it's not necessarily a propaganda tool, but it is a very common tool that gets used in publishing and marketing. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, um, recently the Mars Corporation and like Hershey said, uh, we're changing the green M&M. She's just going to yeah. wear shoes. No more high heels. We're taking away the glasses. Yeah, yeah. And people all over the internet went, oh, we want our green M&M to be gorgeous. Uh, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. I remember that. They're canceling our M&Ms. They're just M&Ms. Come yeah. On, they're candy. But what a lot of people missed yeah. during that two week uh, blow up over the green M&M <laughs> was that during that whole process of people on the internet crying about an, a fictional M&M character, um, Hershey Corporation was coming under fire for their human rights violations with their workers and slaves. Yeah, it's like, look over here, and then we're doing yeah. nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Be distracted by this yeah. little uh, social culture war. They're like, wait, we're going to court over human rights violations yeah. and claims of slavery. We're going to change the green M&M. And it's Create some controversy. such a common tactic that gets yeah. over on people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> a, a couple of comments um, on Elon. I I think I appreciate Elon more for what he's done with rocket technology. True, I like true. I like space, and I think he's done a great job with that. I think Tesla's kind of his weird side gig that he's just kind of just show his own ego a little bit in his cars. I kind of reflects that yeah. a little bit in his cars. I mm-hmm. think he's done way more in rac- rocket technology um, that makes him uh, important. I think in mm. space travel and whatnot. Um, and uh, second, we need to talk about the assassination of the Japanese prime minister, today, yeah. uh, pr- former prime minister. Uh, that just happened this morning, I think, or, or day ahead there. But uh, he was killed by a gunman uh, who actually made his own gun because uh, gun Japan laws in has... Japan have very strict gun laws. I don't think anyone's allowed to have them. Actually, I, I re- sorry to interrupt uh-huh. you. No, it's okay. But I read about this very recently because yeah. I was interested. Um, so in Japan, to acquire a gun for 
I don't think you can even get a concealed or an open carry permit. Like it's just, you are the owner of the gun and you could use it. Yeah. Um, they background check you with, uh, not only like your government information yeah. and your like job information, yeah. they interview your parents, family member and siblings. If you have a partner, they interview your partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they even take it as far as, uh, I don't know the waiting period. Uh-huh. I can't remember that, but Basically, everything that we're pushing for in this country is what Japan has. Exactly. And yeah. they're astounded at one gun death. Yeah. <laughs> crazy how that works. Yeah, yeah. An import, uh, a crazy gun death. An important, I mean, an important prime person. minister. A former prime minister. Man, people don't kill and politicians like they used no, to. No, they don't. And I'm, that's the weird thing about Japan is they don't have a lot of political instability there for the most part. Yeah. Um, well, they're very... These kinds of things are... They're very rigid structure mm-hmm. in their society. So We live in a society. That's true. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say. I just, um, part of what was interesting to me is I was trying to figure out why he was assassinated. Because obviously there's going to be people who don't agree with you or people that don't think uh, your positions are correct. But as far as I had seen, it came down to a political party trying to assassinate him for um, his defense policy. Yeah. yeah. Because he was actively trying to bolster the military defensive position so uh, Japan would be stronger globally. Yeah. Yeah. He's become more of like, he's like the modern... He's kind of modernized the uh, Japanese diplomacy um, from a very isolationist uh, standpoint to kind of, you know, less less xenophobic and more projecting their power on yeah. the region around them uh, with the help of the U.S. Well, because so he's I been had, kind of accredited for that. So mm-hmm. that's what he's kind of famous for. I had so read maybe. that in the last few years, I don't know exact dates, but um, he was even in charge of rewriting the... Um, Pacific, like, East Island yeah, uh, trade, trade accords. and Yeah. 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 So uh, it's weird. It's always weird to me why a politician is attacked because yeah. there's a lot of reasons and there's a lot of questions and it's never, I, at least I feel until we get a response from the shooter, it's never a specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and they they, uh, they raided that guy's house and he had made all of his own guns. They're all homemade. So. Which honestly, um, as, as scary as the idea of a ghost gun yeah. is, um, the concept of being able to produce your own is really, really cool. And I yeah. think is... Particularly with 3D uh, printing technology. Yeah. There's some amazing things. All you need is a firing doing. pin. That's it. It's insane. It's the only metal. on oh, the barrel, you need a metal yeah, barrel. That's right, because otherwise it'd melt it that's through. That's about it. Which is terrifying yeah. in itself, Yeah. but also... Um, you could make a few heavy plastics uh, that would probably shoot a few rounds, but they would mm. ultimately probably melt. I, I always had a question. I don't know if you have this information. Oh. Um, I've always found a lot of differing opinions on why JFK was assassinated. Interesting. Okay. So I watched um, a lot of documentaries on it. Yeah. I, I've heard a couple different ones that all seem pretty valid to me. Yeah. So um, JFK, and this one's funny only because of the <laughs> historical context, but um, Abraham Lincoln and JFK had one thing in common. Yeah. They both opposed centralized banking. I see. Yeah. And then there's another theory, uh, because, you know, centralized banking and the banking systems are global at this point. And yeah. they, they wanted uh, more regulatory stuff on. Yeah. yeah. And he wanted to oppose centralized banking yeah. because centralized banking kind of decentralizes your communities mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. But there's also another strong theory that because uh, JFK was Irish and strongly opposed the, uh, the mafia families that had been gaining traction, like in Las Vegas and in, had been in New York. Yeah. um, They're applying federal pressure to those mobs. And that's part of the reason that it happened as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's always been, and then there's also the fact that um, 
there's the storyline of him, the shooter being uh, an ex-Marine and being yeah. mentally unfit. Mentally unstable or uh, the CIA not agreeing with some of his policies exactly. that he was doing. Because um, if I'd you look at the, the shot, it's a hard, it's a hard shot, shot. he hit. Yeah, but Lee Harvey was a, I think he was a sniper in the Marines. In the Marines. So yeah. that adds up there, right? Um, if you're a sniper in the, in the military, you are probably good at shooting guns. <laughs> um, but you're right, there's a lot of, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist. I usually try to take things at face value. I agree. Um, I think Lee Harvey maybe not acted alone. I mean, he had another person, but I think he ultimately was one who took the shot for his own political reasons. I don't think he liked JFK and was yeah. a, an avowed communist and went to Russia and Cuba and stuff like that. So, um, I, uh, but there's a component. I watched the Marilyn, uh, Marilyn Monroe documentary that her and the Kennedys were close and that actually, uh, JFK might have been gay cause he had a, a friend, a lover. From, I saw some photographs his, that kind of corroborate college. that. Um, and all throughout his presidency, uh, he would, he was always at the white house and hanging out with him, like his best friend. And maybe there was a little bit more than there's friendship there. So there's that component that I talked about. Um, I think that's interesting cause there is a set of photographs of him in college and, yeah. and they're not explicit. The they're not explicit in any way. Yeah. They're, they're not like damning evidence. But no, no. They're definitely photographs that imply an era of romanticism. Correct. Yeah. And, and in this Maryland documentary, she had talked about that she she knew that JFK was, you know, at least bi, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I mean, man, him and him and Jackie Kennedy both had a real set of chompers on them. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I uh, like you were saying about conspiracy theories. Yeah. I try not to get into it, but yeah. If it has any validity, I'm interested. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the thing. If there's an air of possibility, I want to read about it, but that yeah. doesn't mean I agree. Agree with it, yeah. There's one conspiracy theory that I fully align with and agree with, uh-huh. top to bottom, and it's that America did not actually win the space race in 1969. <laughs> we lied about reaching the moon first so we could end the supposed space race. Uh, I see. And we actually reached the moon in 1972. 72. So it's not that we did not ever go yeah, to the moon. Yeah. The moon landing was completely fake yeah. we faked the timeline that's fair yeah which is still funny to me because historically i only met one person that doesn't that said we've never been to the moon I'm really like, oh, okay i believe we got there just later <laughs> a little later okay i, I just think <laughs> it's funny because um it does make a lot of sense in the fact that the ussr was winning every aspect of the space yeah, race first absolutely. animal in space first yep. human in space yep. first space station yep. for satellites yeah everything they yeah. really took over the whole thing and we went you know what we're gonna tell them we got to the moon and then we'll get to the moon when we get there yeah like yeah. that's the only one that holds water to me because i'm like i could see the I u.s lying it. about something yeah. Like CIA that. propaganda. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other um, popular lies told yeah. by the government that yeah. have been have come to the public eye now that we know are true because of historical right. records. Yeah, yeah. I saw NASA just condemned uh, Russian cosmonauts today in the International Space Station because they were supporting the war in uh, Russia. Usually when you do space missions like that, it's supposed to be totally apolitical. Yeah. Um, this is the first time in history that has ever become politicized. So they took a picture and spread it around and had uh, their cosmonauts in the International Space Station with the Russian flags and whatnot. Huh. So, huh. yeah. That's interesting. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. How do we deal with politics in space? Like, we just deny it? <laughs> I guess. It does, Science and politics exist should up not here. mix. Nope. That's a yeah. good point, actually. Yeah. Keep but, them separate. Um, oh, looking at the time here, we are just about at the clock. So, I do want to say thank you so much for coming yes, in, Austin. Yes, always good. Always a good conversation. And I want to say thank you to our sponsors for First City Forum, uh, Gemini, Crystal Wizard, and KPU. Once again, I have been your host, Cole Greenup, and I hope you all have a wonderful day moving forward. I'll talk to you another time.